Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is now with all of his radiant glory. Now, I don't know what we're going to talk about this morning, but uh, last week it was the Klondike. It might be something else today, Dr. History. It absolutely is, Zeb. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a nice sunny day out there. So oh, do you, do you like good. the outdoors like I do? I just got to be outside. I love it. Yeah, yeah I do. Yep. So today, you know, last week we talked about the Klondike and the gold and one thing or another. Today we're going to also talk about gold. Uh-oh. It's called, uh, the title of this call is called The Lost Mine of the Klickitat. What? The Lost Mine of the Klickitat. <laughs> that is right. one area in Washington that I have a hard time pronouncing. Yeah. Well, so, uh, folks out there, the, this takes place in south-central Washington, yeah. just above the Columbia River yep. uh, a little ways. So, this is the area that we're going to be talking about. Wasn't there an Indian tribe named the Klickitats? There, yes. That's what yeah. we're going to talk about. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, picture this somewhere in this Klickitat district of the state of Washington, hidden among the cliffs near the little Klickitat River. There lies a fabulous gold mine. It is so rich in gold that if you only had an iron bar or a little hammer or a pick, you could dig out a hat full of pure gold within a few days. And the finder would almost immediately become a millionaire. And if the word got out, there'd be a stampede of people heading that direction that uh, the state of Washington has never seen. So well, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Now, the mine was known and used by the Klickitat Indians for many years. By its use, they became known as the richest tribe of Indians on the Pacific coast. Now, they, like a lot of Indians at that time, they knew nothing about the gold or the value of it, but they did know it was a bright, shiny metal that wouldn't rust, and it could be hammered into ornaments, and they were greatly surprised uh, upon first contact with white men to learn that the whites would trade for their golden ornaments as well as their furs, and they were even more surprised to learn that the white men would eagerly trade for the raw gold itself, just the the chunks. Um, The Indians traded gold for guns, blankets, food, and anything that they needed, and they would even trade a handful of gold for a red cotton bandana handkerchief with pictures on it. So if you had enough bandanas, you could come out pretty good. Wow. Now, for years, the mine was known but by one Indian at a time. So the secret was being handed down from father to son. Only one man at a time knew of the mine's location until about the year 1875. Now, in that year, the last person to know of its whereabouts was brutally murdered by a renegade white man who beat this woman to death, trying to make her tell him where the location of the mine was. Mm. So the last person was a woman, and she was murdered. Uh-oh. So, but we're going to go back a ways. Now, when Lewis and Clark reached the Pacific Ocean at the mouth of the Columbia River, they saw gold, which the Hudson's Bay Company was wrapping, getting ready to ship it by way of the fur route through Canada to England. Now, later on, gold was purchased from the Klickitat Indians by John Jacob Astor and the Northwest Fur Company. Oh, my. Then the first settlers of Portland, Oregon, trading with the Klickitats, not only traded for their furs, but for the gold that they had. Now, I like this story, Zeb, because this is told by a guy by the name of Tom Wright. 
Okay, and this goes back to his family and his father uh, clear back uh, at that time around the 18, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what Tom Wright says. He said, my father, a very religious man, pioneered with his family of eight children in the click attack district of Oregon Territory in the fall of 1877 to become a missionary to the Indians. He located our home in what is now known as the Horseshoe Bend, a large tableland almost encircled by the big and little Klickitat rivers, which flow in their respective canyons about a half a mile deep. He says our large mesa was covered with lots of grass, heavily timbered uh, around the rims of the canyons. Now, have you ever been in that area? I have. The Horseshoe Bend? I have. Of that area? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, for centuries, the Indians of the Klickitat tribe had lived... What are, what, pardon my interruption, what are some of the today major towns or cities that people might relate um, to? It's really I'm trying to kind remember. of in the middle. It's kind of west of like the Tri Cities. Yeah, up in the uh, it'd be up north of Pasco and yeah, Kennewick and up in there, wouldn't it? Kind of north and west. Yeah. So yeah. really central, kind of south central. So anyway, uh, for centuries the Indians of the tribe have lived in the depths of these canyons along the river, and there was game of all kinds. They had an abundance of salmon and trout in the rivers. They had complete protection from the elements. Uh, so the click cats were not forced to migrate from time to time, as did the prairie Indians. Now, during the entire span of their existence, their only means of exit from the canyon was by an old horse trail that switched back and forth a mile in length to come out at last onto the mesa above. Now, here the trail split into a dozen narrow paths, and some of the Indians' uh, fishing grounds, they go over to the Columbia River, uh, or they go over by the Dalles, not that far from the yeah. Dalles. Uh, Goldendale. Well, uh, then I know exactly where okay, you so are. Okay, so Goldendale, right. Astoria, and other yeah. places. So that's about... And they lived in the canyon? Yeah. yeah really? Kind of like that Indian tribe down in Arizona at the Grand Canyon. Probably, yeah. And and the weather was good down there. So Absolute water, everything yeah. they needed. Yeah. Now, where this trail emerged and divided, there stood a, a small forest of oak, pine, and fir timber. And there was a large spring of pure bubbling water coming up. And the Indians always stopped to water their horses at this spring. After this long, hard climb from the depths below, uh, there was water, there was wood, timber for building. We're all here. And best of all, it was a handy place to contact the Indians. So Tom says, here, Dad decided to locate our home. So he was going to build a house right there where all these Indians would be coming up out of the canyon. And he goes on to say, too soon the Indians learned that Dad was an easy mark, always ready to hand out food. We learned that not only the Klickitats, but also the Yakimas, the Cayuse, and Nez Perce tribes used this old trail as well, going up and down. So, uh, consequently, he says, we were uh, host to a whole bunch of Indians practically every day. Did they feel safe all the time, or if they didn't give the food, would it be taken? Uh, You know, he doesn't go into that at all. In fact, the whole story, he doesn't talk about any fear of the Indian tribes at that time. I see. So they kind of, like you said, they they treated him as an easy mark. You right. said, yeah. So they didn't want to hurt. You him. know, are they uh, were they the kind of tribes and people that basically were looking for a handout? In 
In a way, they were. Yeah, they knew that if they stopped, that he, he would give them some food. So he said, uh, we built our large log house, a barn, outbuildings, and a small church. Because remember, he wanted to be a missionary to these Indians. Uh, and the Indians would come in large numbers to sit around and watch. And he says, having found that Dad would give them food, the Klickitats regarded us as their particular property. Uh. <laughs> so, and so... Here's what happened. One day, Tom says, one day to our great surprise, a kind of a dirty-looking, scroungy-looking guy with long gray hair hanging down his back spoke to Dad in broken English. He told Dad that he was a white man, a Frenchman. All right? He had lived with the Indians over 40 years and had forgotten nearly all the language, but he could still speak some some English. His white name was Morgan. Okay, the, remember this guy. He, we're going to talk a lot about Morgan. He'd married an Indian woman, raised three children, his wife having died two years before. Now remember that. His wife died two years before this. Morgan had given up the ways of a white man, and now living with the Indians was their village drunk. Okay, he was always drunk. He'd spend everything he had to get liquor, and that was his existence, was the village drunk. With the Indians. With the Indians, living with the Indians. Holy cow. So they didn't care a lot for this guy. You know, not a high reputation. So he was leeching off the Indians. Probably, yeah, getting whatever he could. It's funny they didn't throw him out. Well, yeah, why didn't they? But it gets better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so one day, this is the highlight here, Zeb. One day, Morgan was so drunk, he fell off his horse, broke his neck, and died. Okay, So that was a blessing to the children and to his three children, because uh, the mother had died two years before, and the tribe. They, they weren't really mourning his loss. Now, about a year before his death, Morgan had invited himself, Tom says, to our house and spent the night. How would you like to have that visit in your house? <laughs> he might have slept out in the barn. Oh, I don't know. my. So uh, he says he told Dad this following strange story. All right. Morgan, a French-Canadian on contract to trap for the Northwest Fur Company, had heard rumors of a fabulous gold mine known only to the Klickitat Indians. So one day at the fort, he saw a Klickitat chief trading gold. So Morgan got pretty excited and greedy, and he decided to locate the source of the gold. Of course, the Indian chief wasn't going to tell him anything, uh, but Morgan followed the chief and his party back to the Klickitat country and moved in with the Indians, and pretty soon he persuaded them to adopt him into the tribe. So he became kind of a blood brother, as went through some ceremony to become one of them. He was the relative you wished it would go away. <laughs> yeah. How long are you going to stay today, you know? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah. So now Morgan felt he was on his way and would soon learn the location of the mine. So several times he was permitted to see and handle the gold, so he knew it was real. And after months of waiting, watching, and questioning, Morgan was finally told this story. Okay, so here's, here's the legend. Of the gold. So, uh, and this is what the, the Indian story. They said, many, many snows ago, the great spirit appeared to the chief of the Klickitats in a dream and told them that he had uh, placed much gold in a remote, remote spot for the benefit of the tribe. It must always be used for the nation as a whole. The great spirit would take the chief and show him the gold, but the chief must be very careful never to tell any living man where it was. Now, there was just one short season each fall, and at this time, it would be safe for the chief to go and gather what gold he wanted to get. 
just as much as he wanted. Holy smokes. So, he had an un- endless supply. Right, right. So he just got what he thought he needed. So the chief would go. He would stay no more than 15 days at any one time and must never go near the spot at any other time or season of the year. Mm-hmm. So one Indian knew where it was. Uh-huh. When the chief came to die, he must call in his oldest son and let him know the secret and location of the mine. Then the boy must never let the secret be known. So that was how the secret had been passed down for years, by handing it down from father to oldest son and each succeeding generation. Now, this is where Morgan kind of comes in. Finally, the last chief uh, who had the secret uh, came to time when he was going to be dying, and he did not have a son. So he called his young daughter to his bedside, oh boy. told her the secret, and made her swear to carry on just as they had. You're not going to tell me they got married. Zeb, you're getting ahead of me. I'm sorry. You, you saw that coming. For some reason, it just jumped up and said to me, that's what's <laughs> yes. going to happen. Okay, so here she is, this beautiful young Indian woman. Oh, She's no. 20 years old. And upon learning which girl it was, Morgan began spying, okay? And each fall, at a certain time, the girl would disappear, returning in a couple of weeks with her bandana full of gold. And she would give this to the chief to be uh, handed out or used for supplies or whatever they needed. So Morgan, being the sly, wonderful person he was, he started giving this beautiful Indian gal some presents, some cheap jewelry, some blankets. And uh, finally, he talked her into marrying him, and they did. They got married. So they have a family of three children. Oh, uh, my Two boys and a girl. To this dirty old urchin? Yeah, yeah. So, So here we go. So for years, Morgan would watch his wife. As each fall, she prepared to go for the gold. She knew that he watched her, but always she tricked him and got away without being followed. She knew what he was... After they were married. Yeah, she knew that that's what he was trying to do. Listen up, wives and husbands. Yeah, so when she returned with a pack of gold, Morgan actually would try to get the gold from her, but the chief and the other Indians would step in and say no. And she had three kids with this guy? Yeah, yeah. So... One fall, Morgan was watching uh, and waiting, and he saw that his wife was kind of getting ready for this annual pilgrimage in to get the gold for her annual trip. So what he did is he kind of snuck out that night and said, I'm going to go hunt uh, out here or something, and gave her some excuse. So he hid in the woods where he could watch. So he's watching, and pretty soon uh, she slips away from from the lodge, and she traveled for miles up the little Klickitat River, and she came at last to the mouth of the Black Canyon, which is a deep, dark canyon that comes in from the east to meet the Klickitat. Okay? So, you got the picture. She's going to go be da- down into this deep canyon. Yeah. So, at the mouth of Black Canyon stands a large, they call it a crag, that projects out into the river. So, I guess it's like an outcropping. Kind of like a big uh, like clump of boulder, rocks or something. Yeah. yeah. And so to get past this crag, a traveler must swim or wade through a big eddy of water. So there must be some white water, some rapids uh, that surrounds the base of this big rock. And the only other way to get around it, you'd have to climb up this steep trail clear to the top and go over that way. But she didn't do that. She waded around it. Well... Morgan was watching, okay, and he saw how she uh, uh, kind of bundled her clothes and went around this crag, and he watched her start wading upstream through this uh, eddy of water. So Morgan, he followed, 
uh, after she disappeared. And he started waiting around this crag, hoping to surprise his wife in some cave or a crevice or something. He, he was expecting to see her just getting the gold. But there was no cave and there was no opening where she could hide. Morgan gave up the hunt and returned to his lodge at the Indian camp. Mrs. Morgan was never seen nor heard of again. Oh, really? Gone. All right? Uh-huh. So the plot thickens. The plot is thickening. So Tom says, uh, he goes on to say, The first season we were in our new home, a young Indian woman appeared at the house and asked Mother for work. She said she was a good housekeeper, she knew how to wash, iron, and take care of kids, and she was a very light-colored, neat, and clean, and she could speak a little English. She told Mother she was a widow, her husband having been killed the year before in a fight with a grizzly bear. She was left with two young boys to support. She gave Mother a long Indian name, but she asked just to be called Marianne. Okay, this is going to fit in in a minute, Zeb. Well, so, I hope so. <laughs> okay. So you see your... your so what, no, what does this have to do with it? Okay. So, anyway, the young Indian gal proved to be a good worker, and mother engaged her to come in one day a week and do the washing and the ironing for us kids. And Marianne's two boys uh, were about my age, she says, and we became great pals. Marianne, in the meantime, had learned that... Uh, oh, they'd learned that her name was Mary, and so they just called her Marianne. Uh, now, go back. After Morgan's death, Marianne was a child of Morgan and his first wife. Okay, Morgan, the, the, the Frenchman, and his wife. I said he had three kids. Yeah. Okay, this is one of them. Marianne. Marianne. What was his wife's name? Uh, it never says. Never says. Uh-uh. So the Indian maiden that was basically forced or coerced to marry Morgan, she was never named. Well, she was, but she's she's the one that disappeared. Yeah, she's gone. Yeah, she's gone. So now Morgan and the three kids were left. Okay, but no, my question was if she left while she had the three kids, what happened? Who raised the three kids? Well, probably relatives. The tribe? Oh, yeah, because Morgan was a drunk. He was... Yeah, yeah. he wasn't uh, a f- father figure, so oh, to speak. Okay. So, okay, so Morgan's gone, uh, his wife is gone, and Marianne, the daughter, uh, she now tells her story. Okay, she was Morgan's daughter, but she hated him for the rat that he was, uh, and just hated the guy, you know. Anyway, so he's gone. So uh, she said that her father, Morgan, had been the most despicable man living. He had married her mother for the sole purpose of locating the mine, and he had beaten this guy, his wife. He had kicked her, but she would never reveal the secret of the gold. I mean, she kept that secret until, you know, she disappeared. Well, came the night that Morgan followed Marianne's mother from camp. She never returned, but Morgan returned and told the Indians practically the same story that he had told Tom's dad. But Marianne, as well as all the tribe, knew that Morgan lied. He had caught her mother and, trying to make her tell him the secret of the gold, had killed her and somehow gotten rid of her body. So when he followed her down that river, she wouldn't tell him, he killed her, and that's you know how she got killed, they think. So the lost secret of the fabulous gold mine had been known to the Klickitas for many years, and now that was gone. Nobody, gone. nobody knew where it was. But Marianne actually uh, suspended around her neck with a buckskin thong. On festive occasions, Mary wore a crude handmade cross of gold, and the cross had been made and given to her by her mother. Mm. So we know that this is a true story, and Tom's 
says, as told to my family by the Klickitat Indians themselves to the lost mine of the lost mine of the Klickitat. Holy cow. It's still there? It's there somewhere. Well, let's go. But it's, you know, Zeb, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a rough uh, path, a rough road to go, and uh, wading through white water. I don't, oh, I don't know. Oh, my. Well, we've got the semblance of making a map. Well, we know it's South Central Washington. Well, see, well, that narrowed it down for heaven's sakes. <laughs> yeah, this is like the yeah the Lost Dutchman mine. And yeah, some of those others. it's in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> we luck. We got it narrowed down. Yeah, good luck. But anyway, I so this, basically, this is a true story. This is a true story. I got and, this. And the gold is still there, but the Klickitat Indians never benefited from it. Not after the uh, the, uh, the last woman oh, was killed. Wow. So they did for. You know, for a few generations. Yeah. And so it's still got to be down there somewhere. And people that are familiar with that area might know more exactly where we're talking. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not here in the studio next week, we have our picks (laughs) and our shovels and we have left. (laughs) We're heading to the click attack. So basically that story is a mystery that on goes today. It it is. And I I got this from uh, the True West magazine. There's a uh, this goes clear back to like the 1968 uh, magazine of of the books. We got to get a hold of a member of the Clickitat tribe. You say that fast five yeah. times. You know, surely that uh, story has been passed on. Oh yeah, to members of the tribe. And if there is anybody out in the audience that is a uh, a member through blood to the Clickitat tribe, call us and we'll have you on the air. You know, Zeb. Uh, if they'll go to my webpage, dr-history.com, there you go. there's a place for comments. Just hit on that comment. There you go. I would love to hear from anybody up in that area. Yeah. Uh, if you have some information or you've heard of that story, leave a comment on my page. I appreciate it. Dr. History, you hit a home run again today.